Hello everyone and welcome to the Child of the Library podcast where we discover the words on our shelves and in our hearts. I hope you guys are doing well. The last two weeks were a bit chaotic and windy. Gosh, our barbecue nearly flew away. This is a super weird thing to say, but it is true. We were a little bit worried about that. I also got a cool new haircut and by the time of recording this, I haven't shared it on social media yet, but I will definitely once this episode actually comes out. So if you want to see that, head over to my Instagram at child of the library. This piece of information was not really book related, but here you go. <laughs> It just tremendously had a positive impact on how I feel. I feel so much better. I was really not super happy with my long hair and how it looked like. This was also partly because I hadn't been to the hairdresser for a while because she was on a longer holiday. So I wasn't super happy with the color anymore. And yeah, it was a series of unfortunate events to make the loop to the books back again, at least a little bit. But anyway, I feel so refreshed and ready to tackle a new topic on my podcast, which is book series versus television series reviews. I know that when I grew up, I did not watch too many popular series. I remember that was a big topic when I met my husband back then, boyfriend, and he was such a big series fan that there were quite a few staples that I still needed to catch up on. <laughs> So he watched them again with me. So even though TV series have not been a huge part of my life for quite some while, they have been for many years now. And especially if the series in itself is based on books. I super enjoy that, of course, but also my husband, because we find that these usually end up well made because the ground basis of the story is already there and most likely popular, otherwise it would be turned into a TV series. But what what happens when you change certain things, complete narrative streams, and also how the story is told. This is what I want to dive in today. And the series in book and TV form I want to talk about is Bridgerton. It is hugely popular on Netflix and its second season is coming out very soon at the end of March. It is based on an originally eight book series by Julia Quinn. And to be honest, if you have not read all of the books, but want to and also have haven't watched the first season yet, but want to, then please skip this episode if you want to avoid spoilers. But if you have already done these things or are not interested at all in like completing the entire book series, and you're also in for the right of not only talking about the aspects that were liked, but also the ones that I deem problematic, then please stay because <laughs> let me tell you, this series had quite a few ups and also downs. And what I also want to mention is that if you are triggered by topics like sexual abuse, depression, etc., these are topics that I will quickly dive into in this episode because I need to address them when talking about the Bridgerton series. So please, please just make sure that you're safe and that you're equipped to listen to this episode. But first of all, how did I come to read these series in the first place? All of my friends know that I'm usually not like the biggest romance reader, like it happens from time to time, but it's usually not the type of book that I naturally gravitate towards, let me put it like 
like this. As you know, I usually read fantasy, sci-fi and contemporary, but usually without a big romance element. So how I came to read all of Julia Quinn's Bridgerton books was that I, before that, read all of the finished Jane Austen novels last year. And after finishing them, I sort of fell into a slump where I wanted more of that era more yearning, suffering over afternoon tea while the love of your life was somewhere out there or right before your eyes and I don't know, Austin had me in a grip. I think that's a proper way to call it. But there's only so much you can read from her. Of course, she has other unfinished novels and stories, but I wanted something full length. And I heard of the hype surrounding the Bridgerton series that had already come out on Netflix. And I also talked with Jordan from the Books to Last podcast in our episode about our reading year so far last year, because she had read them all as well. And so I knew that this series is not a skyrocketing experience in every book, but that definitely some installments were stronger than others. But I wanted to see for myself. I wanted to read the books and I wanted to watch the series and make up my own mind. This was even stronger underlined by friends of mine and even my husband, who told me that apparently in some angles I look like the actress who plays the female lead Daphne in the Netflix season one. So of course, I had to check it out for myself. It was a matter of honor at that point. <laughs> and because I'm a huge completionist, I powered through the eight book long series. Even though it had its downs in the middle, definitely I knew I wanted to make this episode. So I did it all for you guys all for the podcast, all for the content. But it was also a fun pastime. I have to admit that. But let's get more into detail. Maybe to give you an outline if someone is interested to hear this but has no inclination to read or watch the series themselves. The series is set during the ball seasons spanning over several years. As it is custom, the upper crust from England's high society, called the Ton, gather for the season in the capital, London, to enjoy their parties and balls, but also to marry their children off to each other and find a suitable match. So the story centers around a powerful Viscount family by the name of, obviously, Bridgerton. And while the old Viscount Bridgerton is already deceased, we have Violet as the female matron of the family with her eight children as the main characters. So you see, eight children, eight books. Aha! <laughs> and one of the characteristics of the family is that the children are named alphabetically, which makes it also easier to remember the names of each for the eight books. And each of the eight books follow a different child's story of finding their love match, so to say. It is a pretty repetitive cycle, to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> but as each child has its own characteristics, the stories always vary to degrees, but you always know that they will eventually end up with their intended. It is a law in this series, okay? It is very obvious. Even though there are twists and turns along the way, all ends well in the end, which made them an enjoyable pastime overall. Now, when I say children, I just want to indicate that they are the younger generation. <laughs> when 
we start into this series at the beginning, quite a lot of the Bridgertons are actually already adults. But as you can imagine, with eight children, there is quite an age span. So yes, the youngest are still like young teenagers and even children at the start and then grow throughout the years until they become the main characters of their novels. So now that we are all up to speed and reminded on the general premise of the series, let's go into full-on spoiler territory. Let's start with what I liked first and then let's get to the juicy stuff later. I liked about the books that they dive pretty deep into the reasonings why the main characters are doing the things they do. You get a pretty good understanding of them, even though very often whether their actions were smart or even justified, no matter whether the character is female or male, each one does something very stupid and also pretty questionable at some point. We should never forget that they are a pretty privileged family. And I think that was portrayed quite well how the upper class might have found their luck in the world of the early 19th century and also their very personal trials and tribulations. As I already said, the books were a nice on the side read and they were great to listen to on audiobook. So you could listen to them while you were doing some chores. It was actually very, very calming to do that. And while I like that we get so much depth of the main characters in their books, it was a bit odd that the other side characters were nearly non-existent. And what I mean by that is that once a couple has found themselves in the books, they hardly ever show up in other books or also some of the siblings hardly ever show up in another book of another sibling. There really is a great divide in between. Of course, sometimes there are cameos, but it's not as much as you would expect from such a tight-knit family. And this is where we build the bridge to the Netflix series, where yes, we follow Daphne Bridgerton and her way on becoming the Duchess of Hastings with her to-be husband Simon and all the trials and tribulations on the way. But we also get to see so many characters along the way. And after the first season, we felt like we knew at least a little bit about nearly everyone in the family, which is totally different in the books. You know Daphne has siblings, but at the end of the book, you hardly know anything about them. On the other hand then, because the other characters got so much screen time, the development of the reasoning why Daphne and Simon do the things they do is just skimming the surface of what the book actually provides. And while I generally think that this is a bit of lost potential, I actually find it better that the scene that, let's say, makes a lot of people skip the first book because it very heavily deals with the topic of sexual abuse. But when the female character does the things and takes advantage of situations that you as a man in that case do not want. In this book, Daphne, who as it was customary for women of the time, was not very educated on what is necessary to make a child, suddenly finds out that Simon's seed does not in fact belong on the bedsheet, but inside of her if she wants to have a baby. And in the book, she uses the situation of him being deep asleep. She basically performs the deed on him. Maybe I should call it like that. And just when he's about to wake up, she forces him to stay inside of her in hopes of making a child that Simon does not want for his own reasons, as he has promised his abusive father that his family line would die with him. And if you read that scene, you're like, huh? <laughs> what? What did I 
just read that was so odd in that you know romance filled environment and suddenly you have that scene and you're like Daphne what are you doing I definitely find it better that they softened it down in this series because you don't get the whole you know like scheming elements that you see in the book leading up to that situation but while a lot of people ask why Netflix let it in in the first place because it is such a horrible topic a scene around this topic as muted down as it may is needed so that the characters move along in the plot that is given in the books otherwise the turmoil of the first Bridgerton book would be totally left out and it would just be a pretty shallow love story with nearly no real hardships. But guys, I think in the end Daphne shouldn't have gotten what she wanted because yes, after the sexual abuse towards Simon she's still not pregnant and yes, the action of her drives them apart emotionally. But when they find to each other again and Simon forgives her for her actions and makes peace with his promise to his father, they ultimately start making children consensually and eventually succeed. But Daphne never really faces any real hardship or punishment for what she did. Yes, she needed to spend some time away from Simon and yes as a strong man of the 19th century society this topic would never be raised in public but this is a story written in the 21st century where these topics are handled pretty differently so one could definitely argue that Julia Quinn as the author should have thrust more consequence in Daphne's way but to find my peace with this situation I will just tell myself that she put it in there with hardly any consequence to stir up conversation how very often it happens that sexual abuse goes unpunished. I will try to convince myself that that was definitely her reasoning behind it. But coming back to the Netflix adaption, I really, really enjoyed it overall. I especially enjoyed the costume design and the fact that they used modern songs and converted them into string quartet instrumental versions at the balls. I thought that this was just such a nice touch and very entertaining and it really pulled you in because those were already elements that you knew and suddenly you felt so transported into this world. The casting also was on point. The way how they casted the Bridgertons was just so fitting to how they were described in the books. And even beyond that, some people say that the casting was colorblind because of the fact that a lot of dark skin toned actors and actresses played leading roles. But it was not so much colorblind as color intentional because at some point it was the queen or was it Lady Danbury? <laughs> I forgot who. They even referenced that they, in quotation marks, in that context, obviously meaning people of their skin color, pushed through and succeeded and found their place in society. So they definitely did that on an intentional level. And I thought that this was a super nice touch, especially because it was so intentional and went so straight against the book source material, because there every man, every woman is just plain white. What I am still very curious about though, <laughs> is why they introduced so many new characters that you do not see in the books at all. Like the queen, for example, who has quite a big role in season one is not existing in the books. And then, of course, 
We also don't have the prince who is with her and makes his advances towards Daphne. And also Marina Thompson. She is actually a character that you see quite a lot from in the Netflix series as she needs to hide a growing pregnancy from even before she entered high society events. And because there is definitely a link to the Bridgerton family that there is some love interest, not the father of the child, but there is some love interest developing there. I was just so surprised that in the books she actually appears way later because I watched season one on Netflix when I was through, I think, two books. So I just thought, okay, Marina Thompson is just an additional character. But then when I read along, I found out that her character is actually very briefly mentioned as a side character in one of the later books. And her character is at that point also portrayed with long years of depression and mental illness because she ultimately takes her life. I really don't know how they want to turn that around in the Netflix series and tie it in with what happened in season one, but I'm pretty sure that they have a plan and that they did that very intentionally, so I'm very keen to see. So overall, some things I really loved, some things I really disliked or think could and potentially also should have been handled differently. When it comes to the books, there was definitely a big up and down. The writing also fluctuated between very high society word droppy to very simple sentence structure. And while that made it very easy to follow and nice to listen to on audiobook, I'm pretty sure that that would have put me off when I actually would have physically read it. Along those eight books, you find some main characters where you could really feel their belonging together and you just rooted for them and you want them to finally end up. But also for some, you just didn't feel it at all. And you also got the feeling that them being together is actually quite problematic and that their characters are so problematic. One of the best examples for this is Eloise Bridgerton. I'm so thankful that she gets so much screen time on Netflix because her character on screen is so much cooler than in the books, actually. Her book was one I really didn't vibe with because of the love interest, to be honest. It was partly because of her, because I, as I already said, watched the season one when I read two books. And then when I got to Eloise's book, I thought, oh, okay, now I get to this very cool, quirky character. And of course, the basis for that character was there. But the execution of the playing in the Netflix series was just so much more entertaining. And this is why I wanted her so badly to find a great love interest. <sighs> but I don't know, I just didn't really vibe with him. <laughs> I just really didn't. And I really, really hope that she gets a better ending in the series. That is a really, really big wish of mine. Would I recommend the book series overall? <sighs> yeah, this was something that actually one of the girls in my book club asked me. And I think like for me personally, it's a bit problematic to recommend the entire series because as I said, there were definitely many ups and downs. I can't wholeheartedly tell someone, read the entire series. Of course, there are great love scenes in there, some great pining, yearning, touching, not touching, etc. But in terms of the writing style, there were some things that I found a tiny bit iffy and also concerning the topics. Like sometimes 
ah, it just brought you so much out of this world. Yeah, sorry, not a completely wholehearted recommendation from my side. You really need to prepare yourself that there will be ups and downs and that there will be also trigger warnings for the books. So if you have watched season one on Netflix and now think, yeah, maybe potentially I could read the books, please, before every book, read the trigger warnings because some you can just breeze through and they are nice and for some they are very very heavy topics so please just make sure that you know that up front but to be honest now that i powered through all of the books i feel very equipped for netflix season two which i don't have to wait for so long and that was actually the good thing that i watched the series not right when it came out but a bit later so that i didn't have to wait so long for season two but i guess now i need to get in line and wait like everyone else for season three when and if it comes out but i'm sure that netflix will find a way to make us want for more i'm very very sure of that now that was a little different, even though still very book related. <laughs> if you want to let me know your thoughts on either the Bridgerton books or the Netflix series or both, just write me an email or a message on my Instagram at child of the library. But I will also link my Goodreads account in case you want to see what rating I gave to each of the individual books. And until next time, I hope that we discover the words on our shelves and in our hearts. Bye! Thank you.